Uh, many of you know Timothy Burns from years back. Uh, Timothy at one time attended Bethel Friends back in the late 70s, early 80s, left, uh, went to three or four different places and, and came back and we're, he's a very special brother in Christ, uh, loves the Lord very deeply, and I can tell you he is a walking miracle. Uh, the only reason he stands here before you is because of the fact that you and I have a God who is alive and well and loves his people. So listen as uh, Timothy shares his testimony. The speaker on? Can you hear me? We're on okay. Good morning. Before we get started here today, I'd like to bow in prayer, and then we'll go right to the testimony. Dear Lord, my God and my Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share this life-changing experience this morning, but I know it's not about me, and it's all about you. So if there's any credit today, I give it to God. I thank you also, Lord, because I now see in attendance Danny Fanzo, and I told him when I met him several months ago that God would heal him, and I know this to be a fact. I also pray for this congregation that the eyes of your understanding will be opened here today, and that no one should walk out of here not spiritually helped or changed. And all God's people said. It's been 15, 16 years since I attended on a regular basis at Bethel Friends. Since then, my wife and family have moved. We lived in Lowellville, Ohio, and then we went to Boardman, Ohio, and then we went to Hilliard, Ohio, which is actually Columbus, Ohio, so we could go to Dayton, Ohio. And then we finally moved to Kansas City. I thought I'd never get out of Ohio. But in those 15, 16 years, we've gone to a lot of different churches. And we've been with a lot of different congregations. But I'm so happy to tell you, too, that God has never changed his address in all those years. But it's good to be back at Bethel. I've had two children that were both blessed at this church. I have a daughter, just to bring you up to date, Darcy, who's recently graduated from DePaul University and lives in Chicago. In fact, her first Sunday school teacher was Lynn Roboski. I knew she'd do well in school because the first day she came home, she could pronounce Roboski. <laughs> yeah. My son, John, is a freshman in Johnson County Community College. But my wife and I decided to move back home because for what I do, it doesn't matter whether I fly out of Kansas City or I fly out of Pittsburgh. I do teaching, I do training, I do writing and consulting across this country. So anywhere from Alaska to Hawaii to Puerto Rico to Maine, you might find me. Well traveled. But what I'd like to relate to this morning, and there's a lot that's gone on in those past 15, 16 years, as a circumstance that occurred in my life a little better than 10 years ago. It's a circumstance that has changed my life, and if you follow along with me today, I know it'll change yours. On April 21st, 1991, I came home from work and did the things you normally do when you come home from work. I worked, it was a Saturday, I worked a Saturday morning. Came home and sat down with my wife at the dinner table. The next events completely altered my life. 
Because when I sat down at the dinner table, I was going to stop and have dinner. But the next thing that occurred is I fell over. The lights went out. I fell over with what was called an aneurysm, and I had a seizure, which is called a grand mal. And they didn't know if I was going to wake up or not wake up. They didn't know what caused it. They didn't know how it occurred. But I did wake up, and when I woke up, I was in an ambulance, and I knew that's not where I wanted to be Saturday morning. You could hear the siren, and on the right, I was laying on the bottom of that ambulance, and on the right there were two people, medics, and on the left was my wife. And the two medics, one had rubber bands and the other one had needles, and the guy with the rubber bands was telling the guy with the needles, I think he's going to be okay now. Well, if he said that, there must have been a time when he thought, I wasn't going to be okay. So I went in to the hospital, and they diagnosed me, and they said, you know, it's one thing to have an aneurysm if you have it in your hand, if you have it in your leg, or you have it somewhere else. But my aneurysm was in my head. It was in the middle of my brain. And they didn't know if it was caused by a tumor or what caused it, but what an aneurysm is, it's a bleed. They don't know why it bleeds, they don't know what starts to bleed, but it's a bleed that just starts on its own. And when it bleeds in your brain, then the brain panics, and it's unconsciousness. But I woke back up, and then the next recommendation they gave me wasn't real pleasant either. They said, we need to perform surgery. And that surgery, of course, would be brain surgery. And the aneurysm, the best they could estimate at the time, was about the size of a golf ball. So we've got to come in, we've got to do the surgery, and they schedule it. You have plenty of time ahead of time for, for surgery that you have thought, process, think, and reevaluate your life. Now, I had about seven days where I could think and reevaluate the things that were important to me. But when the doctor talked to me about aneurysm, he said, we've got to cut open the top of your head, and if you saw it, I've got a little more hair now, but if you could see, halfway around my head is a large scar. And then they have to take the skull off the top of the head and go in to perform the surgery. And when they talk to you about that, they give you percentages on whether or not you'll make it. They give you a percentage of whether or not things will work if you make it. And then they suggest things, have you talked to your wife about life insurance? And none of the percentages were real good. So we scheduled the, the surgery, but all that week, I shut the TV off. I turned the radio off. I didn't spend any time in the newspaper. The news is so bad, they've got to change it every day anyway. Right? But I spent my time that week in God's Word, and I want to tell you about that path that I took. I'll tell you the exact path that I took, and I'll tell you the scriptures that I took with it, because the things that I had to recognize, number one, what is the source of true power in your life? Second is once you understand that source of true power, how do you tap into it? How do you use it? And I want to talk about faith, and I want to talk about God's Word. But I'll also give you the scriptures if you want to mark them down. Following that week, I can also tell you this, before surgery, I was at complete peace with everything in my life. Absolute, there was, there's a peace beyond all understanding, and it's hard to express, but I know I experienced it immediately before surgery because I wasn't worried about a thing. There was nothing that bothered me. 
And I still remember the day of the surgery because they come up and they prepare you. And they give you those pajamas with no back, you know. And then they put you on this metal cart that's cold. And then they say things like, are you comfortable? <laughs> no. And I remember the last words my wife told me before I went into surgery. She looked me dead in the eye and all 105 pounds. She says, you're not leaving me with these two kids. <laughs> yeah. I said, I won't. I'll be back. I went into surgery. I didn't know how long the surgery would be. They said it could be three hours, it could be 10 hours, it could be 18 hours. I went into surgery. Three hours and 15 minutes later, I came out of surgery. I was awake in 15 minutes. I was fine. My wife was there. I talked to her. I said, what are you doing this afternoon? She says, well, I'm probably going to stay with you. I said, well, you don't have to. Everything's fine. They said I probably would need to stay at least a week or two. I stayed three days. I was home. Jogged at the end of the week. In fact, Jim Preston, I don't know if you remember this. I, I called Jim. I asked him, would, would you have the church pray for me? He said, yeah. And then two weeks later, I sat in his living room with Patty and Jim, and he says, what are you doing here? Didn't you just have brain surgery? I said, oh yeah, that's all behind me. But let me take you down that path in some of the scriptures that I followed, if you'll stay with me here this morning. So for those of you who brought your Bibles, if you didn't get your neighbor's Bible, or get the Bible that's in front of you. But you would first, would you first turn to Psalms 91? I said the one thing that I had to recognize initially was the source of true power. Because I couldn't help myself, I couldn't do this on my own. So let's take a look at Psalms 91. And it says here, everybody got Psalm 91? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So we must recognize God for what He is, Most High. So if you need help, you need to go to the Most High, not the Most Low in your life. And so many people in today's world spend their time dealing with Most Low and not Most High, but He is Most High El Elyon. And then it says, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, that's another name for God, or we know Him, El Shaddai. So, the beginning of the source is his name, Most High Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Would you mark a line there in your Bible? You see, that's your part. That's your part. You say your part, and then God will do his part, and his part is the next part that I'm going to give you. But that is your part. So we now know his name. And then it says, For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or the arrow that flies by day, or the bullet that flies by day. 
of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not approach you. You will only look on your, with your eyes and see what the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord your refuge. You have gone to the Lord to abide. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down Would you put another mark there right above 14. Because this truly is God's part as he acts in your life. This is what he will do for you when you call on his name, when you trust in his name. And it then says, because he has loved me, and you can put your name in there, because you have loved him, I will deliver him, God will deliver you. I will set him securely on high, next to him, most high, because he has known what? Because he has known what? Would you underline my name? You have to know who to go to because you know his name. You know the name of the source of true power. You know, when I moved back here from Kansas City and I bought a condo up off of Matthews Road, one of the things I had to do, condo brand new, plumbing wires, ready to go. But I had to take out the telephone book and look up the power company's name. And then I had to call the power company to turn on the power. So if you want power in your life, you have to know the source of the power to go to to apply it. You must know his name. Now, we know his name. You don't use a phone book and you don't use a telephone. You use prayer. Aren't you glad you don't have to use a telephone? Aren't you glad God doesn't answer voicemail? You know? Wait for the beat, line to emergency. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. Trouble has a lot of different names, doesn't it? I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. So, now we know where to go if we have trouble, if we have problems. Let's take that a little further. Let's go to the next step. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. In verse 20, he says, which he brought about in Christ when he... Now, we also have to recognize the word Christ in, as correct. So many times we see it in the Bible, Jesus Christ. Well, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It describes what he is. He's anointed. He's anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. So the word Christ, or we're going to celebrate Christmas, which comes from Christ. In the Greek, 
comes from the word Christos. I mean, they didn't call his disciples the anointed. They call them Christians, which comes from Christos. That comes from the Hebrew, which is Masa, Messiah, rubbed on, poured over, or the oil. But he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. What was he anointed with? Holy Ghost and power. Holy Spirit and power. All right. said he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above. Far above. Most high. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Would you underline not only in this age, but would you also underline his name that is named? And every name that is named, his name is above every name that is named. Is that not correct? Is that not what it says in yours? So if you have troubles, if you have problems, if you have them in your life, and you know the name of that problem, in other words, his name is above that name, so if the problem is aneurysm, then his, his name is above the name of aneurysm, is it not? His name is above the word cancer. His name is above the word fear. His name is above the word worry. So whatever name, if you don't know what it is, if you can name it, his name is above that name. All right. Now would you turn with me to Philippians. Chapter 2. The second part of verse 9, 10, 11. Philippians, chapter 2, 9, 10, and 11. The second part of 9 says, for let's read the whole thing. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And not only will every knee bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now it says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. What percentage is every? Just wanted to make sure. Okay. So now we understand where to go to for your help. Let's take that to how he will help us. Now this next piece I'm going to give you, I don't believe it's just coincidental on how many times it appears in the Bible, but let's look at it. In four different places, he gives us the message. Would you turn with me first to the book of Habakkuk? To the book of Habakkuk. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, go to your table of contents and then we'll go to Habakkuk. But let's go to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. In Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. It then says, in the last portion of that verse, but the righteous will live by his faith. So if we are have been made the righteousness of God, or the just shall live by faith, depending on which version you're reading, it says the righteousness will live by his faith. 
You know it's impossible to please God without faith. He's no respecter of person. And I can assure you he's not going to heal you so you can watch TV without any pain. But let's take a look at the second one. Would you turn with me to the Romans? Let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And then it says again, but the righteous man shall live by what? We shall live by faith. Now we just read in the back that we need to live by what? Faith. And now he tells us again in Romans, we need to live by faith. Let's go to number three. Would you turn with me to Galatians? Chapter 3, verse 11. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And the latter part of that verse says, again, the righteous man shall live by the righteous man shall live by faith alright now one more time would you turn with me to Hebrews 10 Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 And he again tells us, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And I say that it's not coincidental that four times God has listed us how we should live. He asked us to live by faith. So no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you're surrounded with, no matter what troubles, what problems, or if you deal with prosperity, you must still live by faith. So how do we get it? Where does it come from? Where do we get our faith? Now the Bible also tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, doesn't it? So if we're going to get faith, if we're going to increase our faith, then we need to look at what to get it. We need to turn back into God's Word, we need to turn back into our Bible, and we need to take a look at His Word if we want to increase our faith. It also says that should we have faith the size of a mustard seed? We can say to that mountain, be thou removed, and it'll be cast into the sea. But I submit to you this morning, you know, when we were born again and we were given faith, some didn't get more than the next person. We were all given an equal amount of faith. And sometimes people will pray and say, oh, Lord, I want more faith. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I submit this to you. It's not what faith you were given, it's what you did with it after you got it. So, in order to increase our faith, it takes God's Word. Let's turn there. Let's finish in Hebrews, and then I want to go to John. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, then tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's not there yet. 
but we're hoping for it. It's the assurance that it will happen. For the conviction of things not seen. It also says in another version that faith is the substance for things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So if you want to change things in your life, you need some substance. What is the substance? You need faith. You need the same faith that God had. God had to have faith to create these worlds. You need the same faith that he had. Let's look at that immediately before, below. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So how did he prepare the world? By the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. If you can see the invisible, you can accomplish the impossible. So what was not seen here, which are visible? Now, let's follow that path. Let's go to the first part of John. So if you'll turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God and the Word are one. The Word was God. God and the Word are one. But in the beginning, God needed the Word. So when you take a look at your life, if God needed his, the Word in His beginning, then my question to you becomes this, what is in your beginning? If the Word had to be in God's beginning, then I suggest it's got to be in your beginning. So whether it's in the beginning of your marriage, whether it's in the beginning of your day, or in the beginning of your work, you need His Word in that beginning. And He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being through His Word. So it not only took faith, but it took His Word. Now, let's follow that. And I want to go to... Genesis, but before we do, let me suggest this. If you want to make a difference in your life, if you're looking for change in your life, then you've got to apply His Word to your life, the same as God applied His Word through faith to create the world. And if you, you see, the Word became flesh, didn't it? And when the Word became flesh, it dwelt among us. So if you take the Word, the same Word that became flesh, then I suggest that Jesus now lives in you. So if you want to open doors, if you apply His Word in your life, then it will open, it will change, and it will change the circumstances in your, that you're in. Because that Word is Jesus in your life, but from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you've got to put it in your heart before it will come out of your mouth. Now let's go to Genesis. So God had to say, God had to say, so let's take a look at what he said to create the world. Let's take a look at Genesis. Let's go to the first part of the Bible. Let's go to chapter 1. And it says in chapter 1, verse 3, God said. And then in chapter 9, it said, God said. And then in chapter 11, it said, God said. In 14, it said, God said. In 20, it said, God said. In 24, it said, God said. And then at 26 it said, God said. In 29 it said, God said. And then in 31 it said what? God saw. What did he see? 
what he says. So the same principle that worked for God has got to work for you. For you to see what you've said. Alright. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 and 18. In 2 Corinthians, it then takes a look at how it's applied not only through God, but in your life. So how do we take His Word? How do we take the source of true power, His Word, through faith, and apply it back in your life? Then we must understand these things. But having the same spirit of faith, the same spirit of faith as God has, according to what is written, His Word, I believed faith. He believed. Therefore, I speak. I believed and I spoke. It's our responsibility to take the action, to stay in line with his word, and it's his responsibility to deliver. Verse 18 then says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. So the things that you see in your life, aneurysm, is temporary. The problems are temporary. They are not permanent. And they can be overcome with his word and faith if you know the source of true power. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I took you down that path for a reason, because I walked that path. I lived that path. And it's made a difference in my life. And there was a time in my life where I wasn't sure, where I wasn't as positive as I am today. But I can tell you today, there's no doubt. I know without a shadow of a doubt the source of true power and that through faith, his word works. And not only do I know, I'll tell you something else after this morning, so do you. Thank you very much. I'd like to have our worship team please come forward. I wanted to have our worship choruses after Timothy's testimony. Uh, we, we do serve a magnificent God, and despite his glory, he's willing to meet with us in our personal lives where we are, and I think uh, Timothy's testimony to the fact that God can work miracles in our personal lives. So he does deserve our honor and our praise. Now let's stand and close out our worship service by praising uh, this magnificent God. I thank you that you have worked very powerfully in his life. Lord, you've done supernatural, incredible things. I'm so thankful that, that it's not just in his life, but ours as well. Lord, we thank you that what you did for him and what you did for Moses and Paul and John and Peter, all the great men and women of God in the Bible throughout history, you still do for us. And as we celebrate your birth, your incarnation, 
your coming to the world, we also celebrate your coming into each one of our lives. And this morning we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. 